it sure is quiet in here, all things considered. Um, but Kids Church has resumed, and it's upstairs in the teen room, what used to be the teen room, which will now be in the Kids Church room. Uh, so that's where they'll begin meeting on Wednesday night, and uh, we hope to have everything up and running tonight in that class, but we hit a few little snafus, and uh, hopefully in the next uh, Wednesday night or two, we'll have all that up and running for them. But they're excited about being up there right now. I got caught up in the middle of it, and uh, it's kind of like Jesus being in the press of people, but little people, and uh, so I'm excited about that. So um, I do want to to make a, a real funny announcement, not a ha-ha funny announcement, but a it's a funny announcement to make because it's about announcements. It's real no-brainer common sense, but I'm going to say it anyway. When we make announcements, it's real important that you listen to them because uh, we've had some confusion in the past few days about things, and we've only announced it 400 times. And uh, so it's real important. We don't just announce stuff to fill up airspace. It's to... Uh, let you know what's going on at Grace Church and the importance of what we do here. As a matter of fact, I'm even going to remind our service leaders, uh, I'll eventually meet with all of them, that when you make announcements, just don't go through it like you're you know, doing those phone calls you get at home uh, where you just delete the message before they even start. Uh, but to make sure everybody understands and uh, things are announced properly, communicated properly, and what have you. So, But when we announce things, we need for you to listen. And it's kind of like E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton speaks, y'all remember that commercial years ago? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. And uh, so when we do announcements, you get the point. Also, uh, probably not this Sunday, but next Sunday is what we're planning. I'm going to have a major announcement to make about all of you that have church keys. So be waiting for that one. But I'm just giving you a heads up right now. Uh, the parameters are going about to change mightily with church keys. So we've had some situations that, that needs to stop. And if they don't stop, then you need to give us your key back. How can I say that any nicer or any more clearly? Uh, either way, you get the point. So with all that said, <clears throat> tonight is um, the kickoff of what is going to be uh, about six or eight real special Wednesday nights. Are y'all listening? Because people will show up next week and say, well, I didn't know. Um, beginning tonight is going to start off a, a about six or eight Wednesday nights that we will call heart sessions, heart sessions. Obviously, I'll be teaching tonight, next Wednesday night. Casey will be teaching and then I don't have the schedule in front of me. But then after that, I think Brian Tier will teach. Uh, Jason Cooper will teach. And you will hear some of these more than once. So the next six to eight Wednesday nights is going to be really, really awesome. The point behind this is we are actually continuing uh, membership processes. Uh, and now we have stepped into the leadership realm. We want all of Grace Church to hear what we're doing and to understand what we're doing. So let me explain one more time. Take just a moment here. As you know, we ran four Wednesday nights of what we call Grace Steps, and they are required to become a member of Grace Church. Once you become a member, the next level in which you can attend Grace Church is in the, in the role of leadership or serve on a serve team. 
Uh, we don't call our different divisions of ministries here at Grace Church, we don't call them departments, we call them serve teams because you serve the church and you serve the kingdom. And um, each one of these serve teams has a serve team leader, what you would traditionally refer to as a department head, but we call them serve team leaders and serve teams. So those of you that's planning to come to my leadership session Sunday evening at 6 o'clock in the A Center, um, you'll be given something, a very special something to take home with you that you will not forget. I promise you, you're not going to forget it. And uh, you won't forget what that, that session will be about. Again, as Brother Merrill mentioned, if you want to be in leadership, this session is required. So once you go through leadership in a normal rotation of, of bringing new people into Grace Church, once you go through leadership, if you want to be involved in leadership, virtually all of our serve teams that interact with, our, with the folks on campus has a, uh, uh, an orientation, if you will, uh, called Infuse. Everybody say Infuse. We literally take new folks who are qualified for leadership, who go through the leadership class, and you agree to all of our stuff, which is our doctrine, lifestyle, all of that. You agree to it then you qualify for leadership. Well, you will go through an infused process where we acquaint you with the particular area that you are interested in serving in. Uh, we will have an orientation where you are acquainted with that. And then you will literally go through a training phase as much as needed. For some people, it could be one session. For other people, it may go on for several years. Either way, we're prepared. Just keep going through it and through it and through it till you get it. And you really won't be put into an official role of leadership until you satisfy the things that we expect and require through the infused process. Does everybody understand that? I'd rather see hands. I, does everybody understand? Okay, thank you. Um, in addition to that, when you begin the infused process, we will take you through uh, about six or eight sessions that we call heart sessions. And it deals with attitude, team spirit, chemistry, etc. I want to say again, I want to say this as kindly as I can, but I like to communicate. I like to be fairly blunt because you understand better, I think. I appreciate experiences in service that you may have from another church in the area, what have you. But when you come to Grace Church, as much as we respect your experience, we still want you to do things our way. And I think that's fair. If you worked for Shell and quit and went and worked for Exxon, but told Exxon, I'm not going to do anything your way, I'm going to do it the way they did it at Shell, how long would you be employed? About a minute, maybe? So we feel the same way here, and I'm going to touch on just a little bit of that tonight in my session. So for the next several Wednesday nights, we're going to bottom line deal with our heart, our attitude, our spirit, and what have you. Everybody understand, this isn't just for church, but if you will embrace this, accept it, and let it become your lifestyle, not only will it help you at church, but it'll help you in your marriage, it'll help you as a parent, it'll help you on your job. In every facet of this is relevant 
to every part of your life, even when you're by yourself thinking about me. This will really help you with your attitude. So that's, and that's one reason I'm trying to teach this stuff here tonight. I like to have fun in church. Is that okay? Even though I was kind of serious with that. <clears throat> okay, I want to talk to you tonight about true Christian attitude. And our scripture setting tonight is Romans chapter 12, verse 9. The Bible said, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor or hate that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another or preferring the other person over you. Not slothful in business. You pay your bills, you agree to all of your financial commitments, even to the church, and tithing. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, that tigger, sure attitude. Uh, if you wasn't here that Wednesday night, you need to go watch it. It was our third grace step. Uh, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And you would be surprised at how often the choice is yours to make, not the other person. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. Don't take out revenge on people. But rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I love this statement. Somebody said one time, the reason God rever uh, reserved revenge for himself is because he knows how sweet it is. I don't know if that's the reason, but it just sounded good. Therefore, if thine enemy, if thine enemy, not your friend, but if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head, or guilt and condemnation on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. True Christian attitude. And I want to tell everybody in this building, everybody, listen. As much as some of us get all wired and fired up over our Pentecostal standards of holiness... You need to get just as much or more fired up over what I just read. Because I don't care how holy you look. If you're not doing Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, your holiness ain't doing you an ounce of good. Everybody say amen. Okay, here's the problem a lot of folks deal with and encounter when they come encounter with not just the gospel. Most people love the gospel because it changes their life. Bottom line, it takes away guilt and condemnation and sin and shame and kind of gives you an opportunity to start over. But all the applicable things that begin to fall into place after that 
folks are kind of a little resistant to that. I didn't really intend to go this far into this Christian thing. So people began to look for a church, and not just coming out of sin. If I can backtrack just for a moment, people with an attitude issue, a hurt issue, a bitter issue, hating anybody, wishing just so-and-so would just go on straight to hell right now and get it over with and I'd feel better, that kind of attitude. And I don't mean that in a uh, flippant way. So oftentimes when people have this stuff churning on the inside of them, the hurts, the bitterness, the confusion, all of these things, they want to look for a church that will be compatible with them. They want a church that will agree with their issues and pat them on the back and say, poor baby, you're right about all that, and you have a right to hate people, you have a right to be bitter, you have a right to tote a grudge, you have a right to do this, that, and the other. People look for a church for that. If people have an appetite for worldliness, they will look for a church that will agree with that. And trust me, at least in our immediate area, anything you want from almost an occult to where there's no parameters and anything in between, you can find it as far as the church goes. It's sad. It's disappointing. But I want to tell everybody here tonight, you're not going to be judged based on what your pastor preaches and teaches. You're going to be judged based on what the Word of God teaches. And if he's not teaching all of it, shame on him, but shame on you for not knowing better. And there are people, especially in our culture today, listen to pastor. I'm going to be very plain here tonight, and I'm going somewhat off script, and I'm going to get back on so I don't get in trouble. But there are folks that get these ideas in their head about the way I want to live, and then they'll try to find a church somewhere that will justify it. You have to please the Word of God, and there's no gray area with that. Bottom line, you're accountable to the Word of God. So on many occasions, people want a church, and for whatever way they seek it, they want their church to be compatible with them. They want their church to be compatible with their desires, their wishes, the way they see things, and they especially want the pastor to agree with them. I want you to see this the way I see it. Unfortunately, we've had very few folks that's come to Grace Church in the past 23 years that you have found that solace or that refuge. Because I don't agree with anybody on everything ever. I just, uh, I don't think everybody's right about everything, and neither am I. But we do our best as we search the Word of God. But I'm more typically right than anyone else, so we'll just go ahead and get that out of the way. (laughs) Someone said recently that it is easier to conform your beliefs to your lifestyle It's easier to conform what you believe to the life you're living than it is to conform the life you're living to what you believe. And that's where a lot of Pentecostals are. There's a lot of Pentecostals I know that's literally had to burn or sear their conscience to live an alternate or a different lifestyle than what they grew up being taught and used to do and what have you. And all of you know what I'm talking about. So this is a difficulty that a lot of people have in becoming a true Christian person. No one's perfect. 
No church is perfect. No pastor's perfect. No one's perfect, but I believe we ought to strive, the Bible said, for the perfection of the saints or the completion. If you're doing less than that, then you've gone off in another direction that you can't justify. So I want to begin tonight by saying an approach to a true Christian attitude is first and foremost, I believe you have to be right in your desire. And the things you want, it has to be right with God. It has to be in alignment with God. It has to be in alignment with the Word of God. Once your desires step outside of the Word of God, you're kind of on your own, and you're out from under that umbrella of just real awesome blessing that God intends for your life. I know we all live in grace and mercy, and God is, and it's, it's phenomenal. But there's also a blessing to serving God when you're anointed, when, the, when, when you're highly favored, when you've been chosen, when God has a distinct purpose for your life and you're living it and so on. There's a lot of blessing in that. And that's the desire that I'm talking about. You have to be right in your desire. The question that you, that you need to ask yourself tonight is why do you want to be a Christian person to begin with? Do you want to start your own version of Christianity and kind of do your own thing and forget what the Bible says? Or do you want to be a Christian that's Christ-like, which is what the word means, and be what God wants you to be? If your desire is to be what God wants you to be, then God can take you a whole lot further in your relationship with Him. If you continually want to find a loophole at how I can be a lesser Christian, and the big area right now that, that is prevalent with some of our folks is you don't want to pay your tithes. You'll look me dead in the eye and say, yeah, I need to, I know I need to, and, and I'm going to start. But you never do. Well, I don't, it doesn't matter how much you pursue Christianity. That's a biblical requirement. And you can talk in tongues till your teeth fall out. And your salvation or whatever will ultimately be between you and God. But I teach... That, that tithing is important, it's necessary, and it's essential to being right with God. Uh, if you're not tithing, then you're stealing from God. You're robbing for God, from God. It's, to me, it's no different than finding an old, decrepit woman walking down the sidewalk, and you just run by and take her purse. It's the same thing. Well, I think it's about the same thing. It's It's robbing. So tonight I want to use the David of the Old Testament, the man that killed the giant, that David. Not that the Bible is full of Davids, but that one. And there are several qualities that David possessed that would serve as an example to us. And I hope you understand the relevance and how applicable this is to your life. David was right in his desire. He started off right and his desires. He was motivated for the right reason. He did not begin his journey with God hoping for one day to be the king of Israel. I don't find in Scripture where it ever crossed his mind. David's desires was, I just simply want to be pleasing to God, and I want to have fulfillment in my relationship with God at the level that God wants it, or at the level that God expects it. David, first and foremost, and when you meet David, and I've, I preached this several Sundays ago as we were introducing Reach. David began with a desire to worship. And I actually put this, if you want a true Christian attitude, 
I put a desire to worship actually a priority over the need to repent. David started out as a worshiper. And we'll find out in a few minutes that it actually enhanced and worked towards his advantage when he ran into that moment when he needed to repent. Worship is important. And and this right here, oh God, hallelujah. How much longer is Brother Murphy going to preach? Oh, hallelujah. That ain't worship. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure how much we really say at church could be qualified as worship. I don't always look at worship as words that come out of your mouth. I look at worship as the lifestyle you live. That's worship. Worship is not an average of about the last survey I read, the last statistic I read, is in the average church service, there's less than two minutes of worship in the average church service on Sunday. Our worship usually involves when pastor comes to the pulpit, let's give the Lord a hand praise, or when the praise team is singing, when they're done, we'll worship for about 20 or 30 seconds max. Well, there's more to worship than that. Worship is a lifestyle. It's how you live your life as unto the Lord. To me, it's like being engaged. When you're engaged to someone, you quit cheating. You quit flirting with other people. You quit going out on dates with other people. You quit calling other people. You quit addressing other people with all of your intimate needs. It should be going to the person that you're a spouse to to be married. You you cut yourself out of the field. You're not dateable material anymore. You change your status on Facebook. God help us tonight. At least put engaged. Don't leave single up there until the night before you're married in hopes that somebody better comes along. When we serve God, we're committed to God. And it's every day, 24-7 every day. It stays in the forefront of your mind. You're, if you're tempted to sin or tempted to do something worldly, there's a major religion that's gone around the world. I'm not going to call the name of it. But it seems like you can do whatever you want to do as long as you come and talk to somebody and tell them what all you've done. And they tell you to repeat something so many times, depending on how many times, how, how bad you were. And, and, and so you can do and you get a clean bill of spiritual health and bless God the next morning. Actually, when you leave that occasion, you can just go right on sinning again and just come back next week. And there's Pentecostals that like to live that way. We'll store up junk. And every once in a while, we'll come down here and just pour it all out to the Lord. And it kind of gives you a clean slate to start over in all the worldliness and sin stuff again. It doesn't operate that way. That's not worship. Worship is living your life as God is your king. And you serve him in whatever capacity that he asks without question. And a byproduct of that lifestyle is when you come to church Sunday morning and you clap your hands and you raise your hands and worship God. Does that make sense? David had a desire to worship. And David didn't worship because of the crowd. David perfected worship out on the backside of the desert somewhere with a bunch of sheep just out of earshot from his voice. He sang and worshiped to an audience of one. 
I hope y'all are getting this tonight. We don't worship for the benefit of other people around us. We don't worship to look good in front of the congregation or in front of the pastor. We worship to an audience of one. And you should be able to worship whether your spouse is worshiping or not or your kids are or not or if so-and-so's in church or not or whatever. None of that is relevant to worship. Worship, when you come to church and you praise and, and you jump and shout, a lot of that's praise and there's a difference. But just for, to suffice tonight, our lifestyle should be reflected in our patterns of worship when we get to church. And I hope everybody understands that. David had a desire to worship. Number two, David had a desire to protect the reputation of God's people by destroying the enemy from among them. Pentecostals aren't always good at that. We consume our own. We're oftentimes very cannibalistic, excuse me, cannibalistic. Now, not to our good close friends, but let someone betray you or let someone hurt you. For the next days and weeks, we have them for lunch with, for, for lunch with everybody we can on the phone or on Facebook. We do all these little innuendos, and, you know, I'm not going to call his name, but I really hate his guts, you know, and, it, and we try to, you know, fly under the radar and whatever. That's not worship. That's not having a right desire to even serve God. That's caving into carnality. And it's in total contrast to what our scripture text teaches. And I ask, I'm asking, I'm teaching this tonight as though all of you were in, in going into leadership at church. This is the level of conduct that we appreciate here at Grace Church out of our leadership team. David had a desire to protect the reputation of God's people, not destroy it. And listen to me. Listen to pastor tonight. If your spouse isn't serving the Lord, the last thing you want to do is go home and fill their head with all the horrible stuff going on at church. That's the last thing you want to do. Y'all accept one of my favorite phrases. When you get home, keep your dumb mouth shut. If you want to talk to somebody about it, go talk to Jesus about it. He's really the only one that can do anything about it. Your spouse that don't serve God, they can't do one thing for you or about that person. You protect God's people. Protect your pastor. You may not like me now, but you may need me tomorrow. You protect our assistant pastor. You may not like him now, but you may need him tomorrow, and so on with your church people, even people from other churches. We're in this together, folks. We're not the only float in the parade. There's Wednesday night services going on all over Central right now, even of other faiths. There's Wednesday night services in, in apostolic ranks going all up through the central time zone. There's hundreds and thousands of them going on tonight doing the same thing we are. Why do we think we're the only ones? I'm not competing with our churches in the area. I'm not competing with our UPC churches in the area or our apostolic churches. I'm not seeing, trying to see who can have the biggest church. I want to work with these people. Let's win our city and our community together. And if they choose to come here, fine. If they choose to go to your church, I'll rejoice with you. We have to have a desire to protect the reputation of God's people by destroying the enemy. And oftentimes the enemy is hurt. The enemy is bitter, is bitterness. The enemy is gossiping of telling stuff that's not true and what have you. The third thing about David, and I've got to hurry, is David had a desire to build God a house. Did y'all know that? he wanted to build God 
a house. And you can study the scripture and you can study David's heart. You'll not find anywhere where he wanted to build God a temple so there'd be an extra star in his crown. So he would look good in front of everybody. So everybody would say, oh, David, he was so awesome. He loved the Lord. And he felt convicted that he lived in a real nice house while God lived in a portable tent that they hauled around the wilderness for, by this time, several hundred years. There was just something wrong with that picture. You listen to Pastor tonight. Materially speaking, all of our houses are pretty nice, as far as I know, virtually with everyone in here. I don't know of anybody that slept under a bridge last night. You had a roof over your head. Now, spiritually speaking... You, as a temple of God, can never be less than what your spirit, your physical temple is at home. It deserves the same amount of attention or more does your spiritual life. David had a desire to build God a house. And I would to God tonight, and I I hope and pray that everybody here tonight has a desire to build the kingdom of God, not tear it down, by running your mouth too much. Not tear it down because of a bad attitude. Not tear it down because somebody offended you. Even if someone offends you, it's still God's people. Who did Stephen preach to in Acts chapter 8? Or Acts chapter 7, excuse me. He preached to the people and said, you're the ones that crucified Christ. But he preached to them and gave them an opportunity to get their heart right with God. And if the truth is known, there's probably folks sitting here tonight that if so-and-so walked into this building and sat down, you'd be tempted to get up and walk out. And we can't have that kind of attitude. When I say anybody and everybody is welcome to Grace Church, I mean it, including the people you don't like. There's something I want to say right now, but I'm not going to say it. But we have folks here tonight It would be real easy for one to see the other and the other one get up and walk out. But they're all here. And that's all I'll say about that. David had a desire to build God a house, a healthy house, a strong house, a beautiful house, a house that was appropriate not for the people, but for Jesus to attend. The reason Solomon ultimately went overboard, I believe, in Solomon's temple and what have you, and David did a lot of the the design and groundwork for that before Solomon even got a hold of it. It was to impress God, not Israel. The reason we strive for excellence at Grace Church, it's for him. He's worthy of it. And I would to God I could light this atmosphere up a whole lot more than we do. I'd have lights all over this building if we had the budget for it. You wouldn't like it. Some of you wouldn't like it. I'd love to have laser beam shooting through here. Not to be hoity-toity and show off all, you know, how cool Grace Church is. I want to impress him in every way I know how, and I struggle. I I look for ways that we can do that. I want to build God a house, and I want our Grace Church to be properly represented by you every moment, every hour of every day. There's not a good opportunity when you attend Grace Church for you to fall off the wagon and be a heathen. We have to live our lives with the right desires. Okay. The second thing about David, let me go into some of this in a little more detail, is he had a desire to destroy the enemy, and I just mentioned that. David had a protecting spirit. 
He wanted to protect God's people. He wanted to protect the house of God. So when Jesse sent David to give his brothers food, he was misunderstood as to why he was there by his brothers. He's bringing them food, and they're making fun of him as to why you're here. I'm here to feed you, idiot. I mean, without me being here, you'd eat the old army rations or whatever. I'm here to bring you some good home-cooked stuff from Mama. Well, they made fun of him. You know the story. And he was misunderstood. But what they didn't understand and what a lot of other people may not understand about you is his brothers thought he was there seeking attention. He just wanted to have his little thing with the battle going on, whatever. Go back home where you belong was their attitude. The point is, is he was where he belonged. But his brothers had a hard time seeing it. And this is where you and I, as a people of God, especially at Grace Church, have to have to, uh, a protecting spirit. You may not understand the purpose of someone being here, but God does. And if God does, we need to embrace that idea. You may not like it to see somebody serving on one of our serve teams. Well, what are they doing? Okay, well, let's sit down and figure out why you can't serve either. You want to start comparing? It's just better, once again, to just keep your dumb mouth shut and let that be between the pastor and that person. And you just serve your part and keep a good attitude and just go right on rocking and rolling. If something's wrong with it, God will take care of it. Anybody believe that? God needs our help in soul winning. But he don't really need our helps in trying to condemn people and judge people. And he don't need our help. He'll do that right when the time comes. Trust me. You're a good guy, you go that way. You're a bad guy, you go burn in hell. He'll take care of it. Was that real plain or what? I'm just trying to be nice here tonight. I'm talking to leadership people, future leadership people, etc. This is what we would teach in that environment. So David was where he belonged, and he had a desire that God's people have a good reputation. He resented the affront that Goliath made to his people, his king. He hated that. And he's looking around saying, why aren't you people going out there and fight the dude? I'll fight him. He was willing to lay down his life to get rid of the enemy from among God's people. And I love that attitude. We should protect one another. Even when I'm mad at you, I'm going to protect you. So David had a desire that God's people have good reputation. He had a desire to build God a house. We should at any cost desire to make our bodies a living sacrifice to God. Nothing is too much. God don't ask too much. He don't ask too much. You may think he does, but he doesn't. Heaven is going to be cheap at any price. Amen. Okay. In addition to that, we need to build Grace Church at whatever the cost. Whatever it takes to keep this church growing is what we should be willing to do. Well, there's a million things. I'm I'm trying to stay on script now. The years David was victimized by Saul, the years, years, lots of years that David was victimized by Saul, it did not make him bitter nor negative and never did David criticize Saul, make fun of him, wish he was dead, wish he'd go be the king of another country. I heard about a group, and I know who headed it up a number of years ago in a church. They started having prayer meetings weekly in their home that God would move their pastor out of the pulpit and bring somebody else in. They 
That man had a child a few years later that, that killed themselves, committed suicide. I don't believe you play games with God. For anybody that thinks that would be funny, I don't know what to say about it. And that pastor did move on. And the church is half now, of literally half of what it used to be. Sometimes you get your prayers answered. But it's not always what you have in mind. You don't pray against the leadership. You don't do it. You don't do it. You leave that up to God. David refused to think the worst about people. We will be hurt by people. Some of you have been hurt by me. We have people that attend Grace Church. I've hurt you. I've apologized profusely. We will be hurt. We will be betrayed. Listen to Pastor tonight. I understand hurt people. I've been a hurt person, and no one ever dreams that it's impossible for a pastor to ever be hurt by anybody. You don't know how it feels sometimes when you get clipped by church people that you've poured your ministry and life into, and they get up and you watch them walk out the door. It hurts really bad. I'm being honest here tonight. So pastors even get hurt. But no matter how bad you've been hurt and no matter how bad you've been betrayed, it does not entitle you, does not give you any entitlement to hate, to carry a grudge, or to be bitter. You take that to Jesus. And there's biblical steps that work you through your hurt and betrayal. If you don't believe it, ask Joseph of the Old Testament. He worked through it. And he was betrayed bad by his own brothers. Bad. Daniel was betrayed by his own people. Israel was betrayed huge by different ones throughout the years. Everybody is going to be hurt by somebody. Everybody's going to be betrayed by somebody. Your spouse will do it. Your kids will do it. Your parents will do it. Your pastor will do it. Your church people will do it. The people on the job will do it. But it still doesn't give you a license to hate people, to carry a grudge, or to be bitter. You take it to Jesus, and it's okay to be hurt for a while. But after a while, you have to move through it. You have to heal. You have to. It's like a person being diagnosed with some disease after a while you can be hurt over the news and feel betrayed and neglected by whoever by yourself and whoever else that you may have your parents maybe it was ran in your family but after a while you have to pursue healing or you'll die this is common sense stuff to me but church people struggle with it and we actually believe that it's okay to hate the people across town or to hate the pastor across town no it's not it's not okay Jesus said, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, your Father in heaven will not forgive you of yours. So you were forgiven of all of your trespasses and sins until you reached a point when you wouldn't forgive someone else. And now yours is piling up, and that's why you feel so bad. And you won't heal when, as long as you feel that way. You've got all that junk in you, and it won't heal. David was content to wait on his throne. He didn't stomp people in the dirt to try to get to the throne of Israel quickly. When that promise was made to him by Samuel, it took a long time for that to happen. And David was patient through the process. David had confidence in the justice and providence of God. He had many opportunities to get even with Saul. There were several opportunities that could have killed him. But he didn't do it. That was God's anointed. And he protected his king even though his king was mistreating him. He still protected him. This is real cool about David, right? 
But to apply this to our own life, <laughs> it feels too good to hate people, man. I, 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 I can't stand that guy. Boy, don't that feel good to say that? I can't stand that guy over there. That's the biggest idiot. That's the biggest fool on the planet. It feels good to the flesh. But when you're done with that and you get along with God, those words start ringing again in your ears and you feel like a creep. And when you come to church and you want to worship, you can't. You just feel like everybody knows what I said. The guy across the aisle does because you just told him yesterday. And look at him over there worshiping a big fat hypocrite. And you see what I mean? And it goes from one thing to another. And you've got a whole bunch of people involved in this. I believe tonight the reason Solomon's temple was so absolutely phenomenal it wasn't because Solomon was a great builder. He was, but that wasn't the reason. The reason is because David was so full of character. A true Christian attitude. Let's continue. He had a desire to destroy the enemy. Number two, he had a desire to please. And this is a serving spirit. <laughs> I don't believe in that ministry. I ain't helping with that. I ain't giving no money to that. And I do believe in our blood drive thing, but I just can't give to that. I will die. I need every drop of my blood. And I'm just go ahead and say out loud, we ain't doing this no more during the 21 days of sacrifice. Two years in a row, Sister Murph has passed out at the restaurant during lunch. And I have to get up and haul her home, and I'm tired of it. So we're not doing it no more during the. <clears throat> David had a serving spirit. Listen to this. You remember Saul, King Saul called David? A devil was troubling Saul. Ooh, a demon. <laughs> was troubling Saul. Saul knew David was a worshiper. So I'm going to bring the worshiper in here, and as you worship, it'll drive that spirit away. Hello? Well, somehow the devil left and got mad and came back. We know that because somewhere along the line, Saul went berserk and picked up a javelin, a spear. One of them big, long things with a sharp point on the end of it, and threw that thing at David. Missed him. Thank God he wasn't a good shot. You know, I'm glad David didn't miss Goliath, but Saul missed David. Well, David jumped up and ran out of the room. Saul called him back. Come play for me again. What would you do if your idiot, devil, trouble pastor <laughs> called you for some help and I got mad and just picked up one of these chairs and hurled it at you? And then call you back tomorrow and say, hey, would you come meet with me again? What would you say? Don't lie. <laughs> I'm going back up there. And if you did that to me, I wouldn't come back either. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> David went back, man. He had a desire to serve. The second time he was willing when this happens to us, we throw in the towel and we will never be used again. If you call on me to do anything ever again, don't ever ask me to play my harp, whatever your harp is. As a matter of fact, the only thing you're going to do is harp on what just happened to you for the rest of your life. That's what will happen. That's what most Pentecostals do. 
So we're not going to go down that road ever again. We're not going to set ourselves up ever again to be hurt. And this is what Pentecostals are notorious for doing. You know what they do when they get hurt? Well, I'm going back to church, and I'm going to trust the pastor one more time, whatever, but I'm going to put a wall around me, and I'm going to make sure I'm never hurt again, so I'm not going to be involved in anything. You're not going to see me pray. You're not going to see me serve. You're not going to see me do anything because I'm not hurt or anything. I've got a good attitude, but I've got the walls of Jericho built around me, man. This is not going to happen again, right? When Saul couldn't get David to come back and play the harp, he sent him into battle in hopes that David would be killed in battle. This Saul is a real cool dude, right? Who wants to go to his church Sunday morning? He'll throw a spear at you and then hope you get run over by a car when you leave. That's putting it in our terminology. David obeyed. The nutcase wants me to go fight a battle for him. I'm going. Because I'm serving my king. Come on, folks. Again, David submitted to Jesse by taking his brother's food. David had to know he wasn't going to be given a welcome mat when he got there. He had to know that. But he did it anyway. David, bottom line, served God by faithfully serving them, or serving those to whom he was subject to. He was humble and willing. Listen, notice the screen. Everything a person does has a motive or purpose behind what they do. People are motivated by their desires, whether good or evil. If a person is right with God and his desires are right, then his actions will be upright and just. Okay? Is everybody on board? A few more minutes and I'm, I'm done. Number three, David was right in his relationship. He had a right spirit. This is a true Christian spirit here. So he was right in his desires. He was right in worship. He was right in spirit. He was right in, as far as a servant. He showed that his walk with God was right by the way he treated others. He forgave and moved on without being pouty, leaving, toting a grudge, gossiping, ridiculing, and then becoming judgmental. I'm going to tell you something. I've learned through the years in, in almost 30 years of ministry that one of the greatest, I shouldn't let this secret out of the bag because now you'll hypocrite around another way. I'm sorry. I, I, it just came out that way. It wasn't in my notes. Sorry. This is why, now y'all know why I, knew, I use notes, right? But I've learned through the years that the by, byproduct of a bitter spirit is people being judgmental. Neither can God do anything right nor the pastor do anything right, nor the church people you attend church with. Everybody, there's always something wrong with somebody. The reason I encourage people to set up towards the front is so you can't see the people around you. It's bad enough having to just look at me, but when you mingle in all these other people in front of you, it's got all kind of confusion going on. Yeah, I know the pastor. All he does is sleep all day and eats lunch, and I, I hear that all the time. I sleep all the time. As a matter of fact, I'm sleeping now. It just looks like I'm awake. And I'm eating lunch right now, by the way. It don't look like it, but really and truly, I'm, I'm eating lunch with somebody right now. Amazing. I asked somebody one time that literally, seriously, accused me of this several years ago, and I said, well, it's interesting that you can take a church from 11 to 230 by sleeping all day. All pastors do that. 
especially the bigger your church, the more you sleep. Just like sleeping all day is synonymous with church growth. And the more you sleep, the more your church grows. It's an amazing phenomenon. I hope y'all can see my eyes because I've just rolled them about three times. If you can't, I'll get a magnifying glass and you can watch a big old... Okay. David showed that his walk with God was right by the way he treated others. He forgave and moved on without being pouty, without leaving, without toting a grudge, without gossiping, without ridiculing, without becoming judgmental. David's life had to be an example unto the Lord in order to have the anointing and blessing of God. If you don't believe that being right with God is essential, even though we live in a time of grace and mercy and all of that, ask Saul. David's lifestyle versus Saul's lifestyle is night and day. And you can see David had his troubles and trials, and I'm going to touch on it briefly in a moment. I'm trying, I've got like four and a half minutes. But you can see a stark contrast between somebody trying to please God and someone against God at every turn. There's a stark contrast. You can even ask Saul of the New Testament. As long as he was against God, things didn't go too good for him. Okay. God directed David because of his attitude. David had an attitude that God could work with. David had an attitude that was pliable, teachable, workable. David was not in it for himself. He was in it for God. And number two, the kingdom. Number three, his family. And somewhere way at the bottom of the list came in David. That was his priority list. In other words, there wasn't nothing that he couldn't do. There was nothing that David could stand in his way as long as he had this attitude and lived the lifestyle that it required. There was nothing that he, could, that he couldn't do. In his youth, in his youth, about 12, 13 years old, it's suspected between 12 and 16 years old, he killed a lion with his lion hands. He killed a bear later with his. To me, when you look at the David killing a lion, bear, and a giant, it's symbolic to me. It represents things. A lion to me represents the devil. The first thing David took care of in his life was a type of the devil, in my opinion. Number two was a bear, which is a type of carnality. And number three was a giant, which is intimidation and fear. David knocked all three of them out in his youth. And that's why he felt so emboldened when he was an adult and began his ascent to the throne. Nothing could stand in his way. How would you feel if you had that on your resume by the time you was driving a car? Run to school and and do a show and tell and show pictures of the lion that you killed and the bear that you killed and then the giant. And everybody's like, ooh, it you. I feel like this is hitting right here and just going, but I'm going to teach it anyway. In his youth, he took care of the devil, carnality, intimidation, and fear in his life. That didn't mean he was superhuman and didn't mean that he didn't make mistakes. But let me tell you what he did when he did make a mistake. When he was caught guilty of the transgression with Bathsheba, which was lust of the flesh, it was adultery, 
and Uriah, which is murder and guilt, what did David do? His established pattern of worship led him to a place of repentance. And that's why I say that if you can worship, if you can truly worship God as I described earlier, repentance isn't an issue when your sin is pointed out to you. Because you have that established relationship with God, you know that you've offended God and you know what to do about it. Do you wonder why the Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart? Duh! He knew what God wanted when he was a good guy and he knew what God wanted when he was a bad guy. When, David, when, when, when Nathan pointed out his transgression to him, David crumpled in remorse and repentance. He was honest. He bore his soul to God. He repented to Israel, and he was willing to pay whatever consequence was required. He lost the child of that adulterous union. But the Bible said when that happened, he got up and washed his face and went to the temple and... When David went through adultery, this just hit me. When David went through his adultery and murder situation, it's amazing how as soon as he repented, he reverted back to his original lifestyle, which was worship. If you're a worshiper, that's what you know, and that's, what, that's who you are. So when you do something stupid, that's what you revert back to. Not bitter, not judgmental, not ugly, not I'm quitting and never going back and hate everybody. That's not, that's not, 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 not how that works. So even in circumstances that David was faced with, he still manifested a right spirit when Saul, his king, tried to kill him, when Absalom, his own son, betrayed him and took him, his own throne away from him. His own son, Absalom, run David plumb out of town and took the throne over. No matter how David was treated, he maintained a right relationship because his lifestyle began as a worshiper. And that's the only lifestyle he knew. So when he got sidetracked or derailed or something bad happened in his life, he immediately went back to his original lifestyle when he corrected himself, which was a worshiper. So folks, to be right with God is to spend time with God. You don't make an appointment with God every Sunday morning at 11 or at 10. God's never on your appointment book. God is with you always, and you're continually engaging the presence of God in your life. When you're at home, your job, you can think about God. It may not be appropriate to sit in your boss's office during a meeting and just shout, praise the Lord, all of a sudden. And I believe God understands those parameters, but it doesn't hurt to say it in your mind. You need to take time and read and study the Bible. I know this is all hokey and old-fashioned or whatever, but the Bible said that the, the people of God don't do good because they don't know enough about the Word of God. You need to pick it up and start reading it. And if you can study stuff and go to all these seminars and trainings to do your job well, you're without excuse as to why you don't know the Bible. If you can understand all this 
plant stuff and doctor stuff and school teaching stuff and whatever else it is we do, computer stuff. If you can read and learn all that stuff, you're without excuse to be ignorant in the Word of God. If you can learn that, you can learn, you can learn enough about the Bible that you can communicate to God through the Bible. Take time for meaningful prayer. We're promoting pray first. Talk to God first. Talk to Him all the time. Meditate on the Lord day and night. God is never out of your mind. should never be out of your mind, okay? You should always be willing to worship. Always willing to worship and quick to repent. I don't think pastor ought to stand up here and beg and plead for folks to come to the altar and get their heart right with God. Y'all be the first one in the aisle if there's something going on between you and Jesus. Come down here and get rid of it. It's to your advantage. Why do you want to hold on to it? I'll keep it another three days. Like Pharaoh wanting to spend another couple of days with the frogs in his house. He hadn't sat on enough of them and squished them. I wish I could get real graphic with that, but you get the point. You need to spend time in reflecting on the goodness of Jesus. Learn how to hear the voice of God. David gave high priority to his walk with God. When Uzziah was smitten for touching the Ark of Covenant, it bothered David. It displeased God, but it bothered David. Why did this happen? Well, he didn't go around Israel bad-mouthing God for the next year. He went and talked to God about it. And God said, I said a long time ago, don't touch it and you don't haul it on a cart. You put the staves through it and put it on men's shoulders and let them carry it. And when he did that, it went right on into Jerusalem with no problems. When David numbered the people, when God told him not to, he still sought to regain favor. He always reverted back to his lifestyle of worship. He was right in his relationship with his fellow man. I'm concluding. When considering a person's life as to greatness, a good gauge as to how a person has developed relationships with others throughout life. What others have to say about someone is not always an indication of his character, but in many cases, the friendship and bonds that a person has forged through the years illustrate vividly what sort of a person he is. A great person leaves a testimony behind him that speaks well regarding his dealings with others. So notice David's relationship, and I'm concluding. I'm about four minutes over, but y'all owe me, remember? Y'all remember that? been two or three Wednesday nights. I let y'all out like ten minutes early. You owe me, so I don't want to hear it. Just, I have a good attitude and all that, but I'm just saying. I want you to notice David's relationships. Let me go through this quickly. With Jonathan, David had a great relationship with Jonathan. That was someone higher than him. Jonathan was a prince. David was a shepherd boy. But David knew how to have a good relationship with someone higher than him. They were best friends. Jonathan was loyal to David for the rest of his life, despite the intense jealousy of Saul. Jonathan often interceded for the life of David when Saul desired to take it. This is what kind of man David was, that Jonathan loved him. But then with Mephibosheth, someone lower than David. Mephibosheth was a cripple. And besides that, he was at the seat of Saul, which everybody hated Saul by now. Saul was a wicked man, and this is one of his kids. And if you're not careful, he can grow up and be just like Saul, and he'll throw a javelin at you. So, David, you need to go ahead and kill him while you're at it. That's not what David did. David said, for the rest of my life, you'll eat with me at my table. It's the character of a person. He loved someone higher. He loved someone lower than him. He loved Saul as an enemy and many times tried to restore that situation. And even with Absalom, his own son, he sought to protect him. He told Joab that day, be easy with my son. Stand with me tonight. So we teach here at Grace Church to the best of our ability. No one's perfect. But this is a standard that we strive for with everyone at Grace Church, and especially those who serve on a serve team. This is what we like for your attitude to be like. If you need to talk to somebody... 
I'll talk to you. If you need someone to listen, I'll listen to you for a little while. When you start repeating yourself, we'll move on to something else because I've already heard it. And I'll do everything I can to help you to recover from hurt, to get through bitterness, to let go of the grudge. I'll do everything I can to help you. But bottom line, this is an attitude level that you have to reach. It's what the Bible says. It's what our scripture text said. So for everyone that attends Grace Church, this is where we like for you to live. If you have a crummy attitude, bring it in the door, but get rid of it. Don't take it home with you. Bring it up here and get rid of it. The judgmental stuff, leave that at the door. Ain't nobody here perfect, including you. If you don't believe me, ask me. Is everybody on board? Um, If I offended you, I meant to, just to see if you can exercise the attitude thing. I'm kidding. Uh, But our, our intent is not to offend, but I'm here to teach the Word of God. This is where we should live. And we're, it's not excusable, it's not, it's not appropriate to have all the stuff bottled, bottled up in our head and heart that we carry around all the time. We need to work through it, get rid of it, give it to Jesus, work through it, and let him truly make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We're honored to be a part of your kingdom. It is such an incredible blessing to be under the umbrella of not only grace, but to be under the umbrella of discipleship. And I pray, God, tonight that you would impact the lives of, and, and hearts and minds of everyone here tonight. We all struggle. We're all human. You are the only one perfect in human flesh. And we strive to be more like you every day. And we've never really reached that point, and that's why we continue to reach. We reach and strive. But, God, there's just basic principles that we mentioned here tonight that all of us should be able to handle, to learn, to live it as a lifestyle. We can embrace the concept of worship. We live our lives pleasing unto you, pleasing the word of God. If we could just do that much, it would go so far in helping us be the people you want us to be. God, wrap your arms around Grace Church, our families, every person that's here tonight, all of our families, even those that are not able to be here tonight. Wrap your arms around them. Love them. Keep them in your care. Bear us up with your hands. Keep us in your grace and mercy. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Why don't you go love on somebody tonight? Show you good attitudes. Smile.